0: Keisha, Jennifer. We kind of ghosted our audience.
1: A thousand percent. I hope they're gonna forgive us. I really hope they will. We're really (laughs) sorry. We're sorry
0: guys. Do you know what? I think for me it has been, I love doing this and I love the conversations we have and I love putting the episodes out and the feedback we get. And I've definitely had at my dance show in the winter, somebody was literally like, oh, you have a podcast, don't you? I listen to you. And it was like this really weird, I didn't know what to say, but awesome moment. Right, right. So like, I I love doing this. I love saying that I'm a podcaster, but I don't know if this is the case for you, Tish, but the like this year specifically feels like a full-on back to what life was more so like pre-COVID. Yes, yes, yes. I'm feeling it. Yeah. And it's just been hard to balance and manage and figure it out. And the truth is, is that like, there's a lot of time that goes into putting this show out and we love it. Yes.
1: Yes. But we get tired. I listen to this podcast, and every intro, the girl's boyfriend is uh, like, he does this little plug where he's always like, Mandy loves doing this show, but she gets tired. <laughs> and like, they're plugging like to support like her Patreon on or Patreon me on or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, so it's true. Bed. She gets tired, and just I'm listening to you talk, and I'm like, yeah, because we absolutely love doing this, but we get tired.
0: We get tired. So if you were so inclined to support us either on Patreon or Buy Me a Coffee or any of those places, what that money could go to once it helps to pay for some of our software and stuff and annual subscriptions, um, it would get us an editor. That's my first big wish because so I edit. So
1: be less tired
0: yeah that would be amazing so but that's not why that's not why i'm saying it i mean yes that's amazing and obviously we want you to support us financially if you're able to um but it's all to say that the ghosting really happened it's not that we don't love you it's not uh it's and we've been actually still recording we have we're recording this is a quickie we wanted to give you all a little valentine because we love
1: you yeah it's not really a valentine's day story but no. It's got a loving message, friends.
0: I mean, I, I call BS on Valentine's Day personally yeah, and, and right? did, and did you know, long before my widow status was a thing. Yes. It's more we wanted to give you an episode and we picked one. I Well, I suggested this one. Well, Tisha, why don't you tell them what episode this is?
1: We are going to be listening to Caitlin's story of domestic sex trafficking. It's definitely a favorite I think of mine and Jen's and she is a favorite human being after recording this I've never met her in real life she's just amazing yeah we just wanted to share an episode that's like them a little bit further back that maybe some of our newer listeners have not heard before Mm -hmm. that maybe they're missing out on great content by not having gone back that far well, so didn't we Caitlin, like the last six months or so,
0: Caitlin got engaged, Yeah, she, she did. She did. Which is did. so amazing. Yes. We've talked about this before. All of our former guests in our mind are our best friends. Yes, naturally. When we get to see this stuff, like on social media, it's really exciting for us. Mm-hmm. I suggested this episode for Valentine's Day because there's a really amazing moment towards the end of it yeah. where Caitlin – tells everyone who's listening that she loves them, that she loves yeah. all of us. And, like, yeah. it gives me goosebumps. It was it's one got of, a loving message. It does. It definitely has. It does. Like, there are certain moments in certain conversations and episodes that, like, I still get goosebumps when I think about.
1: Yes. And this episode definitely has one of those moments.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like a really heavy topic, but we also, like, have ridiculous laughs because, like, Caitlin – dealt with some ridiculous stuff yeah, and definitely has processed her trauma and is able to kind of take a more humorous take with pieces of it which you know Mm -hmm. makes it not again going back to the idea that I've heard from people that you know they don't want to feel bad when they listen you don't feel bad by the end of this one no not at all so happy valentine's day enjoy
1: Hi, welcome back to Now What? I'm Jen. And I'm Tisha. This week we are going to be joined with Caitlin, who was actually referred to us by my sister, Haley. So shout out to Haley for the referral. Guys, we love when you recommend guests. It's fantastic. And Caitlin is a survivor of domestic sex trafficking. She uses her lived experience to really educate others and to help other people. It's such a pleasure to have her with us today. I know that you're going to love listening to her talk. Hi, Caitlin. Hi. (laughs) Hi.
0: Thanks for um being willing to come on the show and talk
2: to us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Haley.
0: Yeah. I think we we kind of were chatting before and saying, I think neither Tisha or I really know much at all about sex trafficking or human trafficking. It's one of those things you maybe hear about, but but don't really either know somebody who's been through it or really know anything about it. So I feel like that might be common amongst a lot of our listeners. So we are. Uh, grateful for you to be here.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. I guess, you know, start where you feel comfortable starting. Like how you, you people can't see us, but we're like very white looking women who wouldn't <laughs> expect of a privilege. We appear to be of a privilege that that wouldn't be a concern. And, and so how does,
2: how yeah. does that happen? Yeah. So I like what you said, um, you know, just a few seconds ago about not knowing anyone that's been through it when in fact you probably do. Yes, Um, exactly. Yeah, That's the thing, right? So being a survivor myself, individual, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, I was being trafficked and I actually had no idea what was happening to me. I thought, and part of my language, I had a shitty boyfriend that was making me do some really terrible things that I didn't want to do. Never in a million years did I think I was being trafficked. The word "trafficked," like I thought, you know, it had to look like the movie Taken or Law and yes. Order yes. or in Miami. You know, like someone's like forcibly removing me and like bringing me to another country, and that's just not my story that's not what happened um you know I really fall into that category where I identified my trafficker to be my boyfriend he said I love you um he promised me the world and you know it was almost like a dream in a really sick way um and even though I had to do a whole bunch of terrible things he was still there for me and he still said I love you um you know he never left my side so I um yeah. Like it's, it's just, it's a, it's kind of a whirlwind of emotions, you know? Um, Cause I think back on it and I'm like, did it really happen to me? Like, was I really trafficked? Because the word today is still super intimidating and it's really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know? And, and I talk to other people, especially youth where, You know, they're like, oh, wow, you know, this is happening and I I just can't believe it. And, you know, to me, I'm like, oh, you're being trafficked. But I can't say that. Right. Because when people identify just like myself, I identify this person to be my boyfriend. Didn't matter what you said to me, I wouldn't have believed you because it was so real, you know, and the trauma bond with my trafficker boyfriend at the time. It was so real, you know. Like he took such good care of me. Like I, um, I'm in recovery. Actually, today marks six years of the last time I ever picked up a drink or a drug. So it's a special day for me today. Oh, Yay! Congratulations! congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. So when I was with this person, I, I was active in addiction and pretty bad actually. I had about a thousand dollar a day habit. And this person was filling that need for me, right? So my, my most essential basic need at this time was my habit. I needed to use, I needed to drink. I had to have something in my body or else I'd get really sick. And, you know, I just hated myself. So again, even though I I'm having to do all these terrible things, um, I, it still was better than being by myself, you know, because I had someone there. I had someone saying, I love you. I had someone, you know, showing me that, I was important and I was special, even though I was, and I'm doing air quotes here, just a no good junkie, you know, because as quickly as he would say, I love you, he would also say, you're just a whore or you're a no good junkie. No one's going to love you. And so it was just like really conflicting, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like almost what you think of in like terms of a standard abusive relationship. Like that's what I would expect a shitty boyfriend to do is to tell you that that you're unlovable, but that he's the only one who loves you. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so when you're saying, I thought I had a shitty boyfriend. Yeah. Like that is kind of my definition of a shitty boyfriend too. Well, yeah. And I think the misconception of trafficking is yeah.
0: Like a movie or like a container full of people, you know, like that are Mm -hmm. what like, kidnapped from somewhere and being told they have
2: to do this to survive it's not to say that that stuff's um, impossible because it 100% could happen like for sure your daughter or your son could be snatched like it's not it's not impossible but the thing is is like when we're talking about human trafficking and in an Ontario context and at least in my situation and what I see there's some sort of connecting link so you know for me um I'm engaging at sex work you know, I had jobs here and there, but I'd always get fired. I couldn't keep them. You know, I couldn't show up and then they'd fire me. And it was just like, you know what I mean? Like just repetitive over and over. And so I was kind of talking to this guy and, you know, he would say, okay, you know, come here, do what you got to do. And this guy's going to give you drugs. So I was, I guess, engaging in circumstantial sex work, you know, and um, this one night when I went over there, you know, I had a big smile on my face and I'm wearing little clothes and makeup and, you know, everything looks amazing, but inside I was dying inside. I felt like, you know, it was like this big dark hole. And like, I did not want to be there, but I've got a big smile on my face because I know the only reason I'm there is to get what I need to get. And that was the substances. Right. So I remember meeting this guy who was to be my trafficker and I met him and I felt like I had I could put my guard down a little bit because he's a friend of so-and-so. And and, well, so-and-so is my friend. Right. And so there's that connecting link where I felt like it's like, if you're on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, right. Whatever you use today, if you have, I'll just use Facebook because that's how old I am. Um, I have like 30 (laughs) friends in common with someone right? You're like, okay, like, hey, yeah, they can't be that bad because you know, like so-and-so knows them. And then, oh my God, we've got like 75 friends in common. So you put your guard down. So when they reach out to you and they're like, Hey, like I'm so-and-so's cousin, like, remember me, you know, you feel like, oh yeah, yeah, I do. Like it's okay. And so that's how youth are living today. Right. And for me, when I would, I would just accept people, someone would add me and we'd have common friends and I'd be like, oh yeah, they know so-and-so and then accept, right? But it's like, my personal life is on social media. Like I share me, I share Caitlin, I share my nieces. Like, you know what I mean? My family, my friends, my dog, my partner, right? Like you, I don't want you on my social media. If I don't know you, I don't care how many friends we have in common. If you're not my friend, I'm not here to collect friends. So when I met this guy like my guard was down and I wear my vulnerabilities on my sleeve. Like I am, was very visibly an addict. Um, and and, you know, for me, I, I firmly believe that, um, my vulnerabilities made me more susceptible to being trafficked. Right um, had low self-esteem. I had low self-worth. I needed you to tell me I was pretty. And I needed you to tell me I was good enough. Cause I didn't know how to do those things. That's why I used, right. I hated the way I felt. I was full of fear. I was full of anxiety. I was full of shame. Like I needed something to make me feel better, whether it was you, it was the substances. It was, it didn't matter, right. A job shopping food,
1: just something um, to fill that void. Fill that void. Exactly. Yeah, that makes, I mean,
0: it doesn't make, it doesn't make sense, but, but yeah, I think, I, I think especially as women, it's really common to kind of get stuck in that kind of a loop mm-hmm. where you, your self-worth is often defined by others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and for, you know, standard heterosexual women, it's typically defined by men. So mm-hmm. when you speak of it that way, like, yeah, I probably did know somebody who was being trafficked.
2: Yeah, for sure. Right. Because the thing is, is it's just like, imagine, imagine someone calling 911, right. Or the police or whatever. And the police show up and this woman or man says, you know, my partner is, you know, making me do stuff I don't want to do like it literally sounds like a domestic, you know, it sounds like yeah. just a couple is fighting and that's what's happening. When in all actuality, there were probably so many calls of human trafficking, but like, they just didn't know how to tell you because they didn't know what was happening. Like take me for instance, if I would have been, well, I was arrested <laughs> with my trafficker, but I mean, like I said, my boyfriend, my boyfriend, this is my boyfriend. Right. And it was not, he was my trafficker, but I can't communicate that to you because it wasn't real for me. I really thought that this person loved me. And I really thought that he was just making me do some things so that we could have a life together. And we're both suffering. He's selling dope. I'm, you know, he's selling my body too, but you know, in the end, we're going to be happy and we're going to have a house and like, I don't know, like a white fence. And, you know, we're going to be I have no idea what I thought. Like, honestly, it just felt good. It felt like someone wanted to be around me and nobody wanted to be around me. Right. I was a disaster. And I I had very little family in my life. I had very few friends, but the friends I did have were amazing. Um, But it's, it's hard to watch someone go down a really dark hole and not want help.
0: Yeah. Well, and another thing that was like very kind of common was when you we're like, you know, I wouldn't listen to anybody, even if they said something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really common too. You know, we've all had a friend and maybe we've been the friend that the other friends didn't like the boyfriend. Yeah. Right. And, and, and either, and either yeah. you tell them and they're, you like the, the relationship and they're of, pissed. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> or someone tells you and you're just like, fuck no. Uh, yeah well I don't really care what what you say I like him and that's that right but so how did that I guess relationship develop from like
2: you meeting him was that a slow no no it was quite it was fast (laughs) okay (laughs) so I was um I was working in this restaurant actually and um again like I didn't show up. And when I did, I was kind of half in the bag. I'd be late or, you know, I was like leaving on my break to go grab dope. Um, So I was working at this restaurant and um, anyways, I I just didn't make enough money. So I, uh, I couldn't support my habit and I keep saying habit, but it wasn't a habit. Like I was a full blown drug addict. Like there was no like, Oh, like I just have this habit. Um, Like I, I needed it to live. And I remember talking to this guy and like I mentioned earlier, right, he would have me come over and, you know, just do these favors for people. And then I'd always get drugs after and I would kind of sit around and pretend like I was really happy and and laugh and everything was OK, but it wasn't. And so when I met this guy, you know, and this is I guess this is what is really crucial, especially for young people to know, is that. My idea and conception of love is that if you had sex with me, it meant that you loved me. And if you didn't, there was something wrong with me. Like I would internalize everything. I'm fat. uh, You know, I got a pimple on my face. There's, there. like, it didn't matter what it was. Like you looked at me funny. It's, it's about me. I did something, it must be because I'm ugly or I did something wrong or how can I make you feel better and love me? Like I I just cared so much about what people thought about me. So when I met this guy, right? And he looked at me and he said, you know, come with me. I I think we were playing strip poker and I was wearing barely any clothes, right? Big smile on my face, but inside I was dying. So I went into his room. It was actually a trap house. So there's like a whole bunch of people that live there. And he said, what are you doing here? And I was just like, oh, you know, like just having fun. And um, and he was like, you don't belong here. And he just started to ask me a whole bunch of questions, you know, like, why are you here? Why are you doing what you're doing? How long have you been using drugs? Like, you know, and then he kind of like, didn't full-blown ask me if I had been abused, but he's like, has anything happened to you before? And, and these questions were so inappropriate given the circumstances and the fact that I did not know this guy but it felt so good like it honestly felt like this person cared about me he cared about getting to know me yeah, and yeah you're having had, this raw vulnerable conversation yeah, and he maintained eye contact and i was like uncomfortable you know because i was like why isn't he looking at my chest or why isn't he like you know what i mean why isn't he trying to sleep with me and it just felt weird because again my comfort zone is chaos and craziness and insanity like when shit hits the fan, Caitlin's like, oh, okay, I can breathe, you know, because <laughs> I already know that shit's hit the fan. But yeah. like when things are calm and quiet and cool, I'm like, oh dear, like where's the fire alarm? Where's like, I need to create something, chaos or a situation because, you know, it's going to happen.
1: You don't want to be caught off guard when the shit no. hits the fan,
2: right? Yeah, if you so can create that chaos. <laughs> hmm So when we were talking, you know, we talked for a while and, um, and he didn't try anything like, and he drove me home. Um, and was like, Hey, like, if you ever want to hang out, like, here's my number. And I was just like, what just happened? Like, you know, this person like, didn't try to sleep with me. He didn't ask for anything. And he gave me dope. Like he didn't ask for money. So when I was still working at this restaurant, I would call him and he'd come drop off dope and then he'd leave. And I ended up getting fired. Um. And I remember telling him like, I just lost my job. I'm really sad. And he's like, oh, he's like, don't worry. Like, I'm going to take care of you. And instantly I was like, wow, you know, like, I don't have to worry. Like I had to do so many things um, because of my addiction, right? I often feel that if I wasn't an addict, I wouldn't have experienced the majority of the traumas that I've experienced, right? Mm -hmm. I would not, I don't regret any of them, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah, they suck, but I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't take any of them back because it's really shaped who I am today. And the demographic, the people I get to work with, you know, my life, it's, there's so many more positives. So when, when I told him, he's like, uh, I'm going to go on a trip with my friend and you know, like you should, you should come with me. Like, I, I want you to come. And I was like, where are you going? And he's like, Calgary. Now it's like mid January. I don't really want to go to Calgary it's not really my dream spot but you <laughs> know it's the bottom line is that this person wanted to take me somewhere he wanted to be around me he said he was going to take care of me like that stuff doesn't happen every day you know and for someone like me right using as much as I was he was giving me drugs for free um you know i remember he would i met his son like he had a young boy Um, I met his family. I met his friends. He brought me along when he did like, you know, he'd drop off drugs and stuff. So like his ride alongs, like I felt important. I felt like I was a part of his crew. I felt special, you know, like I really, I know people hear that and they're like, well, that's ridiculous. But for someone like me, Feeling accepted was like the most important thing in my life. Like I needed to feel a part of things because, you know, I I just was so uncomfortable in my own skin. That's why I used. It's why I drank. It's why I did what I did. You know. Um. And then it just became an essential part of my existence. Right. Mm-hmm. He he gave you he he
0: wanted you to be around, or he made you feel like he wanted you to be around.
2: Yeah, he definitely did. So you know, really, really feeling like this guy loved me um really feeling like i was special and important um we we did we we went to calgary we drove actually with his friend um and uh we got pulled over in marathon ontario um the opp pulled us over and i was just like oh god you know like what's gonna happen (laughs) i was so scared um and I was always that person too that like, you know, cops are so scary. They're like, is there anything in the car that I need to know about? Cause I'm gonna find it. And I would always be like, I have drugs, you know? <laughs> I didn't want to get you in trouble and I wouldn't rat on you, but I would always rat on myself because like I was just so full of fear. Like I was the worst. Um so I got pulled over. Like I also didn't have ID. The only form of ID that I had on me was um an expired security license. I was a security guard for a while. Um and so the police officer asked for license and registration. Um, and as soon as he got it, I think he took like one or two steps back to his car and turned around. And he said, you're all under arrest. <laughs> so there was like weed smoke coming out of the window. And, you know, it was just kind of a given. So um, what happened next actually is pretty, I didn't understand it at the time. And I still don't understand it today. We did get separated, except um, he had taken the driver, which was my traffickers, boyfriend at this time. Or so I thought he took him first and put him in the other car. And then he came back and took his friend and put him in the same car. And I was so confused. I was like, what did I do? Like, why are they together? Why do I have to be by myself? Um, You know? And so when we got brought back to the station, we're like sitting in separate cells. Again, I was by myself and they were together and I was so afraid. Like I had never been in this situation before. And even though I knew like this guy's my boyfriend, like I still, in the bottom of the pit of my stomach felt like something wasn't right, you know? Um, So when the officer brought me in for questioning, he asked me, he's like, you know, who are these guys you're with? And I was like, oh, my boyfriend and his friend. He's like, what's your boyfriend's name? And I, you know, told him his name and that said, that's his friend. And he's like, that's not his name. And instantly. Right. So ever since I was a kid, I used to, to get this feeling like I'm, I'm not ashamed to say this, but I didn't even learn what my feelings were till I was 26. Okay, I had no idea. I thought if you smiled, you were happy. If you frowned, you were sad. And if you were yelling, you were angry, you know, that's it. So I used to get this feeling where like, I always felt like I was going to throw up. I would feel nauseous and like my stomach hurt. And I just, like, I just wanted to vomit. And that feeling came flooding back. And today I know that that feeling is fear, right? Something's not right. I'm uncomfortable. I'm And I'm just, I'm scared, right? I was really scared. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand why this guy who was supposed to be my boyfriend gave me a fake name. And the only thing I could think to do, because I can't say, "Excuse me, officer. Um, wow, I'm frightened. Could you help me? Because I don't know what's going on." No, I smiled and said, "Oh well, you know, he gave me a fake name. Who cares?" Um, but inside I was like, "Help me, right?" But again, if that officer would have said, "Okay, you know what, ma'am, like I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna get you a bus ticket and get you some food," I probably would have told him to go fly a kite. Because, again if he did all of those things and I get sent back home, how am I going to get my habit? Right. How am I going to use, how am I going to, how am I going to feed myself? I have no money. I have no job. Um, this person, remember, he said he was going to take care of me. So I smiled and I said, Oh, well, you know, cute little Caitlin, who cares? Um, and so as soon as we left the police station, we were there for hours. Um, I remember. So his friend had, and this is another thing. His friend took the charge. Um, It was drugs. And, uh, and I instantly was like, see, I knew these guys were my friend because like, you don't do that. Right. So again, I was reassured that like this person cared about me and they were going to help me. And now I don't have a drug charge and he took it. And, you know, I'm part of the crew. And as soon as we left, he said, you're going to have to work for me now. You're going to have to pay pay for so-and-so's lawyer. Like this is all your fault. And it just, flipped, right? Where the manipulation and the coercion stage wow. kicked in. And I was, and you know what, you know what I said? I said, yes, this is all my fault. I did this. And he said, if you didn't use drugs, we wouldn't be in this situation right now. Meanwhile, okay, low key, this guy's a drug dealer, right? But it's my fault. And I felt <laughs> like it was my fault. Um, and so you know, when we left, um, I remember the first stop we made when we got to Calgary was to the mall. Um, and, and another thing that's really important is my boyfriend, right? Air quotes here. Um, he never actually brought me physically into any stores or anywhere, right? So anytime I had to get something for work, again, air quotes, it was always his friend. It was never him. So you know, when I had to go to the bank and get money out. He would take me to the bank and my hand would go to the cash machine and then right to his hand, you know, like it was never with my trafficker. So we went to the mall, got some underwear, work outfits, whatever. They were already posting my ad. So at this time, it was the website back page. You know, they were posting my ads. They were writing what services I was going to provide. They were writing how much I was going to charge. When they let me sleep, I got to sleep. When they let me eat is when I got to eat. I had to work all day and all night. I remember waking up one day to him yelling at me and saying we missed the morning rush, and it was like eight, nine o'clock in the morning, um, you know. And then he would say, "Now you have to work all day." You know, I know this is a little bit graphic, but um, you know that time of the month had happened for me, and that was not a deterrence. He said, "Mom, you know what? Um, we'll just put a sponge in you." Um, And again, I say that because in my brain and the way that I was thinking at that time, I felt like, wow, he really does care about me. Sick, right? But like, that's how I felt. This guy cares about me. Wow. Yeah, and um, you know, and that's how it was for about, we were there for about a month and it was the worst I've ever experienced. Like, I can't even begin to describe to you the pain and the trauma and the shame and the embarrassment um, that I felt during that time. And as bad as it was, again, it was still better than the way I was living before because I wasn't alone. I had this person insulting me, but I also had this person saying, I love you. And I could not be without those three words because I felt hopeless. I felt helpless. I felt worthless. Like you name it. That's how I felt. And so even though I had to do a whole bunch of really terrible things at the end of the day, I had him
0: you had him, you had a roof over your head. You
2: had, you had what you, you, you had your, your drugs, you had had what you needed. Yeah. So at that time he actually used my, um, my addiction as a means of control. Right. So, um, he knew that, uh, when I would use, I would like, I couldn't stop. So anytime that I had a trick and I, it was like, just my eyes were like lasers, you know, like I knew I was like, yes, like this guy's got dope. This guy's got booze, this guy's, And I, I didn't know how to stop. Like once I put something in my body, I can't, there's no stopping me. Like I go every five minutes, I need to do another line. I need to take another drink. I don't want to feel, and I don't, sorry, I don't anymore. I didn't use or drink because I liked it or because I liked the way that it made me feel that was not my motivation. I hated myself and I needed to feel different. And if it was going to make me feel worse, I needed to feel worse. It was never better. Right. I suffer from pretty bad depression, anxiety, and, you know, thanks to all these wonderful experiences, PTSD as well. Um, But like, it was never, Oh, yay, joy. I'm drinking. It was always I need to get effed up because I hate myself. It was always misery. Right. Wow. And it, and it gave him a way to control you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I actually, so one instance is actually standing out to me. Um, so I'm part of a 12 step fellowship today. Um, and I've kind of been in and out of that program for for a really long time, um, like really long time. <laughs> And um, at this point, I clearly was not a part of this fellowship, Um, but I had actually had a a trick. Um, So he made an appointment. I think it was a few hours, four hours or something. And my trafficker had said, "Okay, like I'm going to be in the lobby and then I'll wait outside. And I don't know what they did. But when time was up within that time period, I had taken quite a bit of drugs and drink and I was out to lunch. Like I was not well. Um, and so when he came back, he yelled at me, he yelled at me. He called me a no good junkie, called me a failure, said he was going to leave me there. Um, he was going to find someone else. Um, and I remember starting to cry and then he held me and he said, I'm so sorry. I love you. And I said, I'll go to a, I'll go to a meeting. Right. Um, just, just don't leave me. And I remember trying to sleep that night and I couldn't, I was wired, but I remember the next day, I looked online and I found a 12 step meeting and, um, and he dropped me off and after, and I get emotional because, you know, this is, this is why this stuff is so scary. It's not someone again, not impossible, but it's not someone snatching you off the street in a van, um, you know, holding you hostage and tied up and beating the crap out of you. Um, it's people manipulating you, you know? What he said to me was, I'm so proud of you because he thought that he was going to get me sober. So when he took me to that meeting, when he said that to me, I felt like he was proud of me again, you know, and that he loved me again. And I just wanted it to continue going back to that first day when we met, when he didn't want anything from me, because my life was so terrible and I was so miserable, but like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't even know what was happening. I just thought, how is this happening to me when things were so good, you know? Um, and so today the people that I work with, it's, you know, it's just, it's so hard because I want to shake them and be like, this is what's happening, you know, or, um, But I can't because at the end of the day, if you did that to me, I would have flipped you off and walked in the other direction. Um, So the fact that I have my personal story and that I can talk about it today to hopefully connect with at least one person um, and there's no judgment. Um, You know, I don't tell people you need to stop doing this or you need to leave this person because he's trafficking you. No, I'm going to say, are you safe? Is there anything I can do for you? Do you need anything from me? Do you know how to stay safe? Do you need harm reduction supplies? Do you have condoms? Do you know where the, you know, sexual health clinic is like, I'm really going to get on your good side because I know what it feels like to be alone. I know what it feels like to sit in that hotel room and feel like you want to kill yourself because you don't know who the fuck is coming to your door. Right. right, like that's some really scary stuff, and you feel yeah. alone and you feel like no one's gonna understand. And who do you even tell? Hey, I'm sitting in a hotel room by myself, and my boyfriend is making me do some terrible shit. Right. People don't get that, you know, and that's no. why we have these conversations is because it's the emotion that matters, it's not the details, right? It's the fact that. No. I know what it feels like to be ashamed of myself and bathe my body in bleach and still feel dirty.
0: Well, and when you're, when you're scared and ashamed and, and you didn't have anybody going into this, who the hell are you supposed
2: to turn to? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, in my case, and I love at the beginning, just to backtrack, when you said, you know, that we all are white kind of privileged um, individuals, uh, females, right? Um, because ultimately, I th- think that that really plays a part. Um, you know, I I don't want to say I came out unscathed because I got a lot of trauma, um, but I don't have a criminal record. I've done a lot of really terrible things and like I got arrested, but I didn't get charged. Um, I feel very fortunate, very privileged, very privileged because I know multiple people that have been through the same thing that I have, and yet they have a criminal record, you know, they got arrested, they got that charge, they went to jail. Um, You know, it's unfair. And it's going to follow them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's unfair. And um, I just think that having these conversations and learning about what human trafficking really looks like in an Ontario context is so important. Um, You know, it's, it's important to ask questions and, you know, admit when you're wrong and make mistakes like these are how these are this is how we learn you know like again and i say this over and over because guys i was trafficked and i had no idea i was being trafficked you know I, I, how do we expect people to know about trafficking if we don't even know what it looks like like you know what i mean every single person i know that's been through it they're like what like i was trafficked like you just don't know no. and it's just it's yeah, it's it's hard. It's a hard topic to talk about. Mm-hmm. But s-
0: well, yeah, it's it's a hard
1: topic to talk about, and and we are we don't know anything about it. Um, yeah, I think you know. Before we started recording, I said this is really the first conversation that I've had with somebody about trafficking, yeah. and um, and the other thing is like I have known women who were involved in sex work, and. I'm wondering, were they being trafficked? Did I, like, where is that line?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I actually love to talk about this and actually a really good friend of mine, um, we used to work together and now we're just best friends, um, but she does a lot of work in the human trafficking community and she's a human trafficking intervention counselor, um, crisis counselor, sorry. And um, so, human trafficking actually sex work really is like on a spectrum right so like on one end it's choice so like obviously you have to be over the age of 18 um you literally choose what you do what services you provide what you wear when you work if you want to sleep if you want to eat you know what i mean if you want to meet with this person if you don't want to meet with this person and you keep all your money it does not go to anybody else unless you're paying for a cab an uber a driver whatever. You control your entire business. That is the choice, right? And a lot of people choose to do it. And a lot of people also don't want to talk about it because they think no one chooses to do that. I know plenty of people, right? Well, maybe I'm exaggerating. I know quite a few people who have chosen to do this on the other end is coercion. So what it would be human trafficking. So what I experienced, I've also, anyways, the other C is coercion and it's, you've been manipulated, you've been tricked, you've been told, you know, I love you or whatever, you've been promised something. um, But there's an ulterior motive, right? And they get you and they hook you and they end up exploiting you. Mm -hmm. Um, No part of that is choice, you can never provide consent or, or say yes, or give, you know, your choice or anything when you've been under manipulation, right? If someone's forced you to do something, it's just not possible. Um, Mm -hmm. You don't keep your money or any of your earnings. I mean, maybe you keep a little bit. That's usually only in the beginning and then they end up taking everything from you. Um, But you don't control what services you provide. You are in fact told what you're gonna do and someone else is posting your ads and taking your photos. That would be on the other end of the spectrum, considered coercion. In the middle is actually quite, like foggy and murky. Um, so, that would be like the circumstance, right? So, a lot of people doing circumstantial sex work. So, for me, kind of how I started out, right? Like, I believe that if I wasn't a drug addict and an alcoholic, I wouldn't have needed to engage in sex work. Um, I wouldn't have needed to pay for cocaine and whatever other drugs I was using, right? Um, it, it often looks like someone is being exploited but there's no third person, right? So in order to be trafficked, there's gotta be force, fraud, coercion, and a third person has to do it to you. Um, In the middle circumstance, like, it looks like that, but it's just not human trafficking. Um, It's usually someone's situation that's exploiting them, right? So maybe you growing up in poverty, Maybe you got kids and you're a single parent, mom or dad, and you need to get money and you need to get fast money so that you can feed your family, right? Like there's so many, maybe you're in school and you don't want to be in debt. And so your situation is forcing you to make this choice, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It is important to know that absolutely every single person on this spectrum needs support, but that support looks different. I'm not going to support someone who's being trafficked the same way as someone who's choosing to engage in sex work. They're very different situations and everybody needs different support. There's no cookie cutter way of supporting someone. And I think, you know, uh, you know, there's laws around human trafficking and there's laws around sex work and we just have to separate them. It's unfair to put the two together because we can't best support people, right? If someone is choosing to do this, you need to support them. Um, And not shame them for what they're choosing to do. And it's important to know that people can move along that spectrum, right? Like I've engaged in sex work and then I was exploited. And then I went right back into the sex trade myself due to my circumstance, right? I was a drug addict and I needed money. So I posted my own ad and thought, you know what? I can do this myself. I don't need anybody. Mm-hmm. It's important to know that people move along that spectrum and they will continue to move. And if someone chooses to stop, that's amazing. If they choose to stay, we need to still support them. And we can't ask someone to leave their situation until they're ready, until they want to do it, and until we are able to support them and fill those basic needs that their trafficker is supporting.
1: Mm-hmm. And right. and that's exactly the thing. Like, you can't just expect
2: somebody to leave when they have
1: nothing to go to.
2: Exactly. It's like an abusive of. Right? Re- Right. If, you know, people's, and I I've been in many of these myself, right. My first fiance, because I was engaged twice. (laughs) Um, my first one, you know, he used to beat the crap out of me. And then after he would actually cry and he would say, I'm so sorry. Don't go. I love you. And I believed him and you know what? I really think he meant it. I I still believe that today, but I think he was a very sick person. Um, -hmm. he, he had a lot of problems himself. He had stuff that he needed to deal with. Yeah. And, and I stayed and people would say, what's wrong with you? And at one point I had cracked rib, black eye, like I was just broken. And they'd say, what, you know, just leave. Like what's wrong with you? And I would leave. And then I'd be far enough removed and say, oh God, oh God, what am I doing? Like, I can't leave him. He loves me. He's struggling too. Right. That Mm -hmm. trauma bond that you get hooked in, You feel like it's your fault. I felt like I was betraying him. I felt like I was betraying my trafficker when I went and filed a police report, right? As soon as I left Mm -hmm. that police station, I thought, how could I do this? How could I do this to him after he took such good care of me? So actually, another story really quick about the trauma bond, because I think it's so important to understand that this is why people don't leave or this is why it's so hard for people to leave is um it's those invisible bars. So like half the time, maybe more than half the time you're not locked up. You like I could literally walk out the door. But there's invisible bars there that you can't see that are holding you there. They're keeping you there. What's going to happen? What if I leave and he catches me or she catches me? Will I ever find someone to love me again? That's why people don't leave. Um but anyway, so when we came back from Calgary, I remember watching the news. <laughs> His face came up with his name and he was wanted for like kidnapping, guns, like so many different things. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I just drove across the country with this guy. Guess what I did? I hit him. I hit him in my apartment because if I just do one more thing, he's going to love me again. If I hide him and I help him, he's going to love me. It's going to go back to the beginning where he was proud of me when he did nice things for me. He didn't make me do all these terrible things that I don't want to do. And if I just do one more thing, he's going to love me again. And this Mm -hmm. is the cycle that people get stuck in that trauma bond. Right. And, you know, he came and then he ended up leaving. He turned himself in, he got released. And then, you know, we had just kind of lost contact because like, I don't get our legal system. I don't know how that works, but um, you know, it's, it's hard, right. It's a really hard thing to try and overcome because it's really hard to identify. Um, it's Mm. hard to, you feel like you're being judged. Like, how do you talk about this stuff? You know, like, yeah. Oh, and people are very judgy about it. Well, yeah. I was thinking when you
0: were talking and not that, you know, people that are in abusive relationships aren't judged, but it's, it's more actively, like, how do we help you? Where mm-hmm. when it's related to sex, anything related to sex is very uncomfortable. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean. And people aren't comfortable that we don't talk about that in polite rooms. And you know, like it it's just not, not. Which I think my upbringing is is coming through because, like, definitely
2: not a comfortable conversation. Well, and um, I think that's where the lines get blurred, right? Yeah. Is if you if someone's being paid for sexual acts oh my God, it's wrong. We're going to help you. We're going to save you. Don't worry. I'm going to get you out of there. But then this person's being like, wait, what the heck? Like, what are you talking about? Crazy? Like they don't want to leave or they're not ready yet. We need to support people where they're at. And we need to do it as a community electoratively because not one person is gonna be able to save this person. It's not a save and rescue. It's how can we support our young people so that they don't feel the need to do this if they don't want to, so that they don't allow someone to manipulate their vulnerabilities in selling their bodies. We Mm. need to teach them about consent. We need to build them up. For whatever reason, if somebody grows up and they don't feel good about themselves and their caregivers aren't able to take care of them for whatever reason, because it happens and it's no one's fault, we need to work together as a community. It is so important mm-hmm. that we build up each other's young people and each other's children. You know, I love kids. I see kids all the time. My nieces, oh my gosh, I would, I don't want to actually say I would kill for my nieces cause like I don't get in trouble, but like I would do just about anything for these kids. Like they are, it's like, they're my own. Like I just love them so much. And I look at them and I get to see them grow and I get to have conversations with them. Like you guys, have kids, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know what it's like. Like I'm not a mom. I'm <laughs> I'm an aunt. I think I'm the best aunt in the world. Look <laughs> at <laughs> these girls, and I have conversations with them. And when they say they call me Aunt Dee Dee, I don't know where this came from. <laughs> but they say, "Dee Dee, I love you." And it's honestly like whatever I went through, it doesn't even matter. Like it it honestly doesn't even phase me in that moment. I know that I have a major purpose on this earth. I'm a friend, I'm a girlfriend, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm a coworker, I'm like spiritual being, I get to be a dog mom, you know? Um, And I know that all those things that I went through, I get to hopefully help prevent them from happening to other people. You know, I get to be Mm -hmm. a sober, amazing example for my nieces. Um, you know, they've never had to see me under the influence ever. Like, what a gift! You know that they yeah. look at me and they see—I don't know what they see—but they say, "I love you," so I think they love me. Um, they you know, see you for I you. Just,
0: they see your cool, yeah. cool aunt who probably does amazingly fun things with them and loves them more than anything.
1: Yeah, like you know, that to me sounds like it's part of your healing hmm too and oh, just when you hear. when you said that they say I love you it brings me back to all the times that you said that's what I needed to hear
2: yeah exactly and he
1: was saying that
2: to you well and they they actually love you like well and that's what yeah, it is right yeah. the flip side is that I don't need to hear that today I love hearing it and it is mm-hmm. so magical and it makes me feel so warm and fuzzy but it is not my basic need today. Today, I love myself and I struggle with that. And sometimes I really don't like what I see in the mirror, but I still love Caitlin. And I know that no matter what happens in my life, I will never ever be exploited again because i know what my vulnerabilities are they're not going away trust me i am so insecure i look at myself and i'm like oh my god don't eat that cupcake (laughs) but like i love that cupcake and i'm going to keep eating that cupcake and i'm going to keep talking to people about how you should love yourself and it starts with hating yourself if you know what it feels like to look in the mirror and cry and not like what you see you are capable of loving yourself and that's what it starts with and that's what i love about my nieces being so tiny and small is that we get to have those conversations about if you don't want to do something, you don't have to. And, you know, my, my best friend, so it's her, it's her kids. um, She, uh, you know, she is so, she listens to them, you know, when they say, mommy, I don't want to do that. She says, okay, she respects their boundaries, you know, and this is Mm -hmm. why I think it's so important that I know when I was a kid, I was told to go hug. Uncle, whoever, or oh, you know, yeah. a friend yeah. of the family, and that's just how it was back then. It's not like that today, you know. um, it Can't be like that. Can't. Yeah, if you're uncomfortable with hugging an uncle or a brother or a who, I don't even care who it is. Mm -hmm. You don't have to, because your body and your feelings are way more important and we need to respect our children and how they feel. Um, so being an example for them is probably my main drive in life. Like these girls are my life and, um, you know, all the youth that I work with today, like, I just see so many magical moments and so many beautiful things happen. And it's so hard and it's so difficult, but it's so rewarding, you know? Change happens when we're uncomfortable. And so when I see people uncomfortable, I know that change is coming. Yes, 100%. Um, I have two questions. Yes. Is, so
0: you touched on it and I just kind of wanted to clarify. So the relationship ended basically when he went to jail. So there wasn't any like, somebody stepping in or
2: like a, Oh no, his friend stepped in. And, um, I worked a few more times. Like I want to say maybe two or three. Mm -hmm. Um, and the last time I had actually just dipped, I I left the hotel. Um, and I actually remember I was in and out of that 12 step fellowship I keep talking about. Um, and I had actually called this woman who was sponsoring me and I told her what happened. And I said, you know, I'm here working and, you know, I, it was almost like I was given this like glimmer of hope and like courage to walk out and I was able to leave and I went home. Um, and, and that's kind of where my journey of recovery began because, you know, so many things happened after that. Like I won't even divulge, but, um, long story short, I ended up calling a treatment center and it takes like 5 million years to get in on OHIP. So, um, I had actually forgotten about my bed date, but I did make that call. And when the time came to go to treatment, um, I went and it was super scary and it was super hard work. Um, but that's where my journey kick started. Right. Um, and the other thing I want to say about that is that after I graduated from this treatment center, so I was there, so I was sober for about a month. Um, and one of the first things I did when I got out is I was like, I need to like file a police report because in my brain, it was, you know, you go to a police station and you file your police report and then police find the bad guy. And then the bad guy goes to jail and woohoo, everybody lives happy. Right. Um, But in fact, just in case you didn't know, that's not what happens. Uh, I went to court for like two years. It was traumatic. It was terrible. It was hard. Um, And actually, I lasted about 86 days sober. And after I made that report, I remember walking out of the police station. I was a frequent flyer at this police station. Um, And I wanted to kill myself. I was ashamed of myself. I felt like I had betrayed the one person that had taken such good care of me. I mean, even though I was in a relationship with someone else, that trauma bond really had me. Um, I lasted 86 days and I tried to kill myself. I woke up in a hospital and in restraints with two officers guarding my door. And the only thought I had in my brain is it didn't work, right? I've tried to live, I've tried to be sober, I've tried to get high, I've tried to kill myself. What do you do? Like like really, what do you do when you feel like you've tried it all? I f- Like, you know how hard it is to try and kill yourself, and you can't even do that properly, you really feel like a failure. Um, and the fact that that was my solution, I felt so bad that I wanted to die. And that's how a lot of people feel today, especially, you know, what's happening in our world with this pandemic. There are so many people that, yeah, they're not receiving the proper supports. They don't know how to reach out. There's a stigma. There's a bias. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Services are expensive, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and your second question. <laughs> my
0: second question. Well, you talked a lot about, you know, support and people need support. And, and you know, so how understanding that, not you know, I don't think we know any woman who would listen to a friend who told them they thought their boyfriend was a dick and doing something wrong. Um, how how can somebody, how can you, because you you do this on the regular, how can somebody better support someone that they think is, in a uh, relate uh relationship air quotes where they're being being trafficked
2: just be there you know like again you can't really say "I'm, um, excuse me you're being human trafficked so like come with me i'm gonna help you um that's like not understandable um you know i'll give myself as an example when i have people in my life um that i work with or a friend who is currently in the game or being trafficked, I just call them. I check in. I ask them how they're doing, right? We cannot afford to judge our people, our brothers and our sisters. It's just not okay. They feel it themselves. They judge themselves. They do not know what's really going on. And maybe they do. I don't know but we just have to continue checking in on our brothers and sisters. Like that's what it is. And this doesn't just happen to females. This happens to males. It happens to whatever you identify yourself to be. It's happening to them. Mm -hmm. We have to be transparent and ask difficult questions. Like if you, if you know someone who like always was like dressing in sweatpants and like sneakers and like a messy bun. And now all of a sudden they're like tip top bomb, be transparent. Oh my God, where'd you get that purse? Man, I want that purse. I can't even afford it. Like, where did you get it? Tell me about the sale. Stick to your personality. Like you can actually ask those questions. At the end of the day, maybe this person is waiting for someone to ask because they don't know how to tell you. So what? If they tell you to go fly a kite, your ego is bruised for what? All of two seconds before you go home to your loving family. And then they're going home to what? A shelter, a hotel room, their pimp boyfriend air quotes like Mm -hmm. who knows right just be transparent and be loving and non-judgmental and we have to kind of work from a harm reduction standpoint if someone is actively using or engaging in these behaviors ask them what do you need from me what can I do for you Mm -hmm. do you need me to connect you to anybody yeah and you know what would you
1: hope whether it's related to trafficking or or not Like, what would you hope people could take from your story?
2: Um, you can't keep me down. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) yeah, I would really, I would, (laughs) you know, uh, man, my, my most sacred and favorite thing in life is love. You know, I just, I believe it is so important. And as, as human beings, you know, we need hugs. We need touch. We need communication. We need to be in contact with another person, human beings. Um, and when we don't get that, we are lacking a serious basic need. Um, and I know for myself, even though I was, you know, being exploited all day and I had physical contact, I was not receiving love. I was not receiving affection. Um, I was being lied to. So if any, if anyone could take anything from my story, I always actually say this, um, you know, I don't know what you go through. I don't know what you guys really have been through. I don't know what you struggle with on a daily basis. Um, But I hope that you would remember that if no one has told, told you that they love you, I love you. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart because... You know, people are always going to try and manipulate you, no matter who you are in whatever context, exploitation, jobs, whatever. I I really don't know. But just remember that every single person on this planet has vulnerabilities. And just because I was more susceptible to being trafficked because of those vulnerabilities, they did not leave me. Like, I legit still have them today. If you are vulnerable, if you're insecure, if you grew up in a marginalized community, um, you know, again, I don't. No, you being racialized, like know what your vulnerabilities are and own them, name them, keep them, cherish them. Nobody can use them against you. If you know what they are ever.
1: Yeah. And we all have them. We do. We
2: We all have
1: them and we all have a story and it's, it's so easy, you know, for someone to meet you today, they would never guess maybe that you had that, that you have this, history right Mm -hmm. um and that's the same thing as as your neighbor your bus driver the person checking you at the grocery store like we all have a story and we all have vulnerabilities and that's just that's part of being human right Mm -hmm. and that's part of the the beauty of being human too is just that we all have stories we all have wisdom we all have vulnerabilities but I think as you've said, like knowing what your vulnerabilities are can really help. everything. We uh-huh. had a, yeah, help arm you, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We had a, a family therapist, my kids and I, who um, always said, you know, name it to tame it with like big feelings. But it that's what came to mind when you were talking. Because like, if you if you name your vulnerabilities and recognize them and own them, then you're in control of them. 100%. percent um, mm-hmm uh, this was a really amazing conversation, Caitlin. Thank you so, so much, um, for coming on. We are so grateful for you. Um, and I mean, I speak for myself, like, I'm just grateful that there's someone like you here in this world doing the work that you're doing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, I'm glad you guys are here to do your part, you know, because I think it's, it's so important to have, you know, you, I know you guys have your own story because you've given me a glimpse of it, um, but it it takes two to tango, right? And I think it's really important to have, you know, I hate saying like survivors unite, but, you know, it's important to have people that have been through something come together. Because this mm-hmm. is honestly how we are going to conquer the world. Yeah. Um, this is how we're going yes. to build people up. This is how we're going to get people out of the depths of the disaster that they're in um, mm-hmm. by coming together. Uh, you know, picking people up when they don't feel good about themselves, being there when they don't feel good about themselves, loving them until they love themselves. Um, it's just so important. So I, I really applaud you for what you guys are doing.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Now What Pod. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe
0: and share this episode with someone you think would love it. You can find us on social media at the Now What Pod. Until next time, we're Tisha and Jen. Remember, your story matters and you do too.